Every so often in life, one word seems to name your experience. And disorientation seems to be one that names this period of life. Of course, there's the pandemic, there's the civil unrest, there's the endless transformations that go on. But then there are other things in life, the unimaginable, that takes us into a new era, a new chapter of our life that we weren't ever even contemplating. I remember when I got a phone call from my best friend growing up to say that he had cancer again. That was unimaginable. I was thinking of a time when one of my daughters was exceedingly ill with no diagnosis. That was unimaginable. And then, in addition to that, there are just times in life when so much is changing all at once, even if it isn't a single change in our lives, that we just feel it's hard to find our way, to figure out what path to take. That's why I've invited my friend Dave Hollis onto the What's Essential podcast today. He's the former Disney film distribution chief who was responsible for the relaunch of the Star Wars franchise, for example, the Avengers series, and mega hits like Frozen, Beauty and the Beast, and so on. He left all of that behind a little while ago to start a company with his wife, Rachel. But they too have gone through an unexpected, unimaginable journey. Uh, they announced their separation, and he has found himself in a situation he never expected to be in. It's a discombobulating experience. He's tried as honestly, as openly as he knows how to do, to not just think through this experience, but to write it down. And he's done that in a new book called Built Through Courage. And, and that word is surely the right word for the experience that we often struggle with in our lives. The fear of uncertainty, the fear of being disoriented. Courage is the answer. So with that, Dave Hollis, welcome to the What's Essential podcast. Oh my goodness, Greg, I'm so happy to be here. So excited about this conversation. Thank you for having me. Now, this is how I feel exactly the same right back at you. What a, an, an interesting book you have put together. Uh, I mean, the, the Built Through Courage, but especially the subtitle, Leaving Your Safe Harbor for a purpose-filled life. That feels like a name something that I, I like I feel that in my life right now. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe one always has to feel that sensation. But why don't you talk to me about, you know, the story behind the new book and particularly that sub subtitle and what it means to you? Yeah. So I, you know, I think there are seasons where we experience change that we choose and plenty of times where change chooses us. And the way that the last five or six years of my life have been defined is by the reaction to that change. 
and courage as an ingredient to taking the changes that happen in life and turn them into something that has you moving closer to purpose is the conceit of the book, this hope that you might have an appreciation that each of you listening right now, you, Greg, myself, were created with very intentional purpose in mind, and that the mandate that comes and acknowledging that that, in fact, is part of what we're here for is to every day attempt to honor the intention of that creator who put us here with very specific tools, a very specific idea of how we might bring light to this world. And courage in the way that I'm describing it is acknowledging who you've been placed here to be and the way that you might have to challenge who you've been to become that person, the way that you have either become comfortable in what you've known in exchanging what you've known for what you need, or the way that you might become courageous enough to challenge the way that other people have become comfortable with you playing a certain role that in stepping into purpose might make them uncomfortable as you now emerge as your new self, as your true self. Dave, I, I was feeling that literally this morning. I'm driving into LA, into the recording studio, and there was this question in my mind of like, who do you need to become? Because there's a sense that I feel of what I'm currently doing is not what I will eventually be doing. You know, that there's a transition, that there's more, that there's a different contribution. And that sense of of who you've been isn't sufficient for the mission down the road was very present for me today. And it's not an entirely comfortable feeling, uh, even if it's a a sweet burden. Can you talk to me about that? Because I think that that's, I think that's what you're describing. Yeah. I I mean, I think for many years in my life, I am an achiever by wiring. I grew up programmed in some ways, not even as an intention of the people who were delivering the programming to associate achievement with an ability to be lovable or acceptable. And so there were some really interesting things that grew out of this relationship that I had between hustle or achievement and my desire to be seen and loved in that I built myself a great career and I chased after the things that the people who were party to the programming convinced me would make me happy when I ultimately achieved them. And in a 20-year career in entertainment, chasing titles or security or status or whatever it might mean, this promise of you'll feel connected to happiness or fulfillment when you get these things was a driving force that when I was fortunate enough because of some combination of hard work and luck and other people mentoring me, pulling me up, giving me opportunities, found myself at a higher level at the Walt Disney Company, working inside of a business that had a decent amount of pedigree and prestige, I was disconnected from feeling the things that I'd been promised. And so I had to start back at the beginning asking, well, what did I miss? Where, where have I, in chasing what I was told would, have, would afford me lovability or, or happiness or fulfillment, like what, what, what did I miss? And part of what has been beautiful in the deconstruction of who I've been over the last handful of years in leaving Disney for entrepreneurship, 
going from a primary identity as husband to someone who's now gone through divorce. I've had to go back to and try and understand who I am, irrespective of title, irrespective of relationship status, who am I at my core? And who did I want to be before I became who I'd become? (laughs) And that work, like that work in and of itself to like connect back to who the 19 year old full of promise and hope and ambition and excitement, who did that guy want to be? And I ended up, I had just a a godlike moment in the midst of this season of change in that I was sat on an airplane next to Dan Rather, a story I tell in the book. And to give you a sense of how nerdy I was growing up, Dan Rather was my childhood hero. Mm. I believe that this relationship to loving Dan Rather was also why I didn't kiss a girl for many, many years, but that's a different story altogether. The bottom line is I wanted more than anything to be Dan Rather when I was growing up. And I had the benefit of this man's generosity in two hours of conversation on an airplane. Well, I myself was trying to find myself that, hey, the, the person that was most connected to passion, that could best utilize the gifts that you've uniquely been given, was that kid who wanted to be a reporter. And that while he was going to college, actually was sitting at that news desk going through the news or that was uh, because of how much he wanted to be in broadcast having a conversation in a radio show at the vaunted 2 a.m. time slot. But that was where my passion was stoked. My competencies were at their best. And my hope for impacting people was come together by having those passions and competencies work side by side. And so here I am doing this work, feeling closer and more connected than purpose than I ever have. And as much as the job I have today is impossible to explain to my grandmother I am a reporter. <laughs> and that version of me is connected to, again, this, this, this question of who did I want to be before I became who I'd become? And so I'd encourage anyone who's feeling stuck or is trying to pull up some threads to understand where they might find some of the answers they're looking for as it pertains to purpose or calling. Somehow, in order to become who we need to become, it's a bit like we have to become less and less of who we really aren't so that we can become more and more of who we really are. Oh, I couldn't agree more. What's interesting is I, in the midst of this most recent change that I've been through, the identity that I had is one of the strongest pillars of who I knew myself as, husband, having now transitioned away to single father, was something that was so jarring. And I, in the grieving of what was or could have been and in the transition to what will be, I spent a decent amount of time looking at deconstruction of like people who'd been through a set of circumstances that they did not expect and became who they were meant to become because of not in spite of those things. And, and I, I mean, uh, there's story after story. I mean, if you admire someone, they have been through something that was not ideal. They failed uh, in, in many, many ways until they learned from those failures and grew into what they now are known for, be it a brand or them as a personality. But I also, there was this, there's a story that I looked at in the Bible, a story of a guy named Lazarus who had to actually die to be brought back to life. And talk about having to go through something hard to understand meaning, right? Like that's... That's a, that's a whole different level. But I end up in, in, in that story in my own life, asked this question, 
what Dave in your life might have to die so that you might be brought back to life, which is a thing that we don't have to confront often or, or certainly don't like to confront often. And as it turned out for me to become who I now am, a ton of really important things in my life had to die. Ego, normalcy, my sense of comfort, a relationship that I knew, the way that I had a historic relationship with my own health, the way that I was committed or not to uh, pouring into community that was going to lift me up instead of have me comparing, like a whole host of things had to die. And in a crazy way, it's only after we've lost uh, you know, something that is meaningful that we have something in freedom to now redefine who we are in the absence of that thing that used to exist. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. There's um, a notable song in the musical Hamilton, Unimaginable. The unimaginable happens. and. Really, I think that's what you're writing to in this new book, and certainly what you're talking about today is how to navigate life when you find yourself in the unimaginable. Uh, what to do to be able to still orient yourself in a disorienting environment. And regardless of the exact cause of it, uh, everybody listening has experienced some of that over the last year and a half. Everybody has been disoriented in some way. Everybody has lost something. Everybody has found something that they wouldn't have otherwise found. So orientation is a necessary prerequisite for today's environment. So I wonder if you could share with us, I'm going to give you a challenge here. Let's say five things that people could do right now to navigate their way in a disorienting environment. 
based on your experience, based on your research, based on the writing in this new book. All right, five things. First thing, uh, when I found myself disoriented by circumstances that were playing out different than I had previously believed them likely to play out, I had, uh, the first casualty was my imagination. I previously had a very clear vision of what I thought my future was going to look like. And now that things were not going to be what I thought, I had a hard time imagining what they could be. Hmm. And the, the, the thing that was at the roots of my imagination being captive was, uh, was fear. And so I really had to create a relationship with my fear to understand what of these things that I believe myself to be afraid of are real and what of these things are not real. For those that are unreal, can I find a way to release myself, surrender them to uh, not being a thing that I'm going to be weighed down by? And for those that are real, are there, uh, is there a plan that I can put together? It's not going to eliminate that fear. It's going to arm me with the ability to walk toward it. The first thing is just bringing it into our consciousness. Like the exercise for me of sitting with a notebook and through tears writing out everything that I was afraid of in this season that now looked different than I believed it was going to was powerful. Because now I could see in front of me all of the things that were living primarily in the unconscious of my being in a now conscious way that allowed me to make room for that fear. Hello, I'm going to honor the fact that you are here. I am going to also attempt to understand what role you believe yourself to be playing. And I want to try to disassociate me as someone who is fear from me as someone who is a, the observer of the fear. And so by just bringing, in, bringing that into the consciousness, I was able to see the things that I believed myself to be afraid of so that I could actually understand which of these things are real and which, which aren't. When I then saw some of the things that I had real fear for, I got to play a little bit of a game on what's the worst that can happen? What's the best that can happen? Is there something in a limiting belief that might exist currently with this fear that I could turn into an empowering belief by believing that there is just as likely a chance that by facing this fear, I might grow into something better or different or stronger because of my willingness to confront it? I, I remember learning from someone who spent a lifetime studying emotions, they said that with these strong emotions, what we would sometimes even say negative emotions of fear and anger, she said, what I do is I like to literally imagine that I, when I feel these emotions, I say, you know, hello, fear, and I embrace it. I mean, this sounds unusual, but she literally says, I imagine hugging it. What's crazy is in the midst of my identity shift, I ended up intentionally finding a therapist who specialized in self and a kind of therapy called internal family systems. That is basically what you've just described, where you are self, you are witness to your emotions as parts, and they believe themselves to be doing something that is meant to help you or protect you. They do not have an awareness of being negative or positive. They are just there playing a role. And the work that I would do, I'll give you the example that I tend to give in my own coaching around anxiety. And this isn't clinical uh, diagnosed anxiety. I'm talking like situational anxiety comes up. You start worrying about things in the future. When I end up having an anxious moment, I have actually named 
my anxiety. Name is Clark, as in I am Superman. He is Clark. Why are you here, Clark? And I will, just like the story you're telling, sit down at a table in my mind with this character named Clark, who is my anxiety, and invite him into a conversation to understand what role he believes himself to be playing. And so now, as I'm in this conversation with Clark, he's letting me know that, hey, there's this area in your life where you need to actually create a little more detail, rigor around something that currently is super ambiguous. And in my now being able to see it as a, as a help, it's changed the way I have a relationship with Clark, with my anxiety, and allows me in honoring the fact that he's present for a purpose, that when I do end up taking some steps to follow that trail of breadcrumbs, he goes away and we're good. And you can take that same example and apply it to the way that you're processing anger or shame or whatever it ends up being. Why does this you know, emotion show up? And, and maybe most importantly, like in an untethered soul kind of way, that reminder that you're not anxiety. You are the observer of the anxiety. And if you can see it as that, create a relationship with it, you might be able to learn from it and then become freer from it faster. I just love the idea that uh, th there's an actual character that our, each of our emotions plays, you know, can be uh, personified. And I like the idea, too, of each of these characters knocking on our door, so to speak, you know, tapping us, saying, I need your attention, I need your attention. And if we don't answer the door, they just keep on tapping. But when we do open the door, when we have the conversation, we find, oh, there's something you're here for a purpose. You're here for something useful. Now I know what that is. I can stop the tapping. I can address the issue. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Uh, I mean, you, you threw out a challenge of five things. I mean, that was a long first thing. But the second thing that I would suggest in a world where change and chaos and disorientation ends up compromising some of your ability to conceive of what the world might look like in five years as a person who used to always have a five-year vision. When I was in the midst of the most tumultuous moments of change, I had to bring the time horizon for which I was hoping to get through wildly closer. And so I started asking a question, what do I need in this season? And I would define season as 30 to 90 days. What do I need in this season against the five dimensions of health, my physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational health? And as I could identify who I'm hoping to become over time, but really against the context of the real-time situational environment that I find myself inside of, what I need in the next 30 days is likely to be different than what I needed in the previous 30 or 60 or 90. And by creating a list of two or three things for my mental, my emotional, my physical, my spiritual, it, each of those health needs, getting two or three things became my daily routine, my morning routine, became the habits that I needed to lean into during that time, the circle of people that were necessary to continue having me go on the journey that I was on, the way that I had to restrict or, or consume based on the things that I ended up needing, the way that I needed to draw boundaries or have a calendar that was a reflection of my needs in that season. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, 
you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, you're describing, I think, a kind of survival guide, a, a, a sprint plan where you say, okay, I can't control everything and I don't know quite where all of this is going, but let's just work out the next unit. Uh, and design around that for now so that I can maintain health so I can handle the next phase, uh, you know, as gracefully as possible. Absolutely. 100%. All right. Third thing, I did not have an appreciation for the importance of stillness or peace until the noise that was running in the midst of chaos became overwhelmingly loud and distracting. And so one of my biggest pieces of advice for anyone who is in the midst of overwhelm or feeling like the incessant marketing that we are overwhelmed by every day, trying to convince you that you do not yet have all the things you need or a news business that runs on a business model built on fear, if they can scare you just enough to tune back in or the comparison trap that is social media where your struggle in real life is being compared to the curated highlight reel that people are putting up online, uh, that's all noise. And the only way that you can stay connected to who you're hoping to become is if you can turn the volume down on that noise and allow yourself to hear the intuition, the voice of God, the, the knowing that lives inside of you, to connect with the emotions, the things that you are thinking and feeling, connect with a creator, the, the, the higher power that might ultimately afford you a little perspective on what matters and what does not matter at all. And so for me, whether it was time sitting on a rock at the end of a long run in the middle of nature or a little space I've created in my back patio called the patio of peace, starting and ending my day with 20 to 30 minutes of carved out time separate from the chaos of my calendar or the busyness of my four kids or the way that my mind might run away with itself and sit just in peace uh, has been an awesome and powerful tool for getting through craziness and upside down times, which I think all of us in some ways have experienced because of the pandemic and everything else happening in the last year and a half. Mm. Number four. Number four, move your body. Uh, body movement for me has been one of the most important ways to, uh, as a keystone habit of sorts, have a bunch of other good habits show up in my life. Uh, for me, I start my day every day with a gym, you know, set of gym clothes and, and running shoes on so that I cannot negotiate with myself about what's going to happen next. I start my day with 45 minutes to an hour of, of body movement, whether it's running or weightlifting or something like that. And that time ends up being in a run, a, a combination of therapy and church where I am able to process thoughts and feelings uh, in the gym. I'm showing myself how much stronger I might be able to become than I even think I'm capable of so that I can transfer that physical barrier that I'm pushing through to what ends up becoming the mental barriers that I will now be able to depend on and lean on. Um, I have as one of the things I need in this season when it comes to physical health, that I will continually be putting myself into physical challenges that go beyond what I believe I am capable of. And so I've recently done a mountain climbing thing where we Climbed 29,000, 29, 29 feet to replicate scaling Everest, 35 hours of climbing. 
hardest physical challenge I've ever done coming off the mountain, I had a reframed sense of what I could handle both physically and mentally. Challenge myself, push myself into these new places, learn more about myself and how strong I can be. And in that strength, transfer it also to how strong I can be mentally. And it's led to a triathlon and a physique competition that I'm entering and a bunch of different strength and, and, and bodybuilding things that in real time are wildly outside of my comfort zone. And yet I'm doing it to show myself that I can so that once I see that I can, I believe I can do even more than I think I can. Mm-hmm. Number five. Uh, And number five, uh, every single day, I start my day with gratitude, Um, you know, like in the midst of hard things, in the midst of chaos, to be able to still see the good that exists all around you is a thing that creates a sense of hope that in that hopefulness will continue to be some of the fuel you'll need to get through whatever it is that you're in. And I just firmly believe I end up spending about seven minutes as my coffee is brewing before I go and sit out back, writing down the 10 things from the previous 24 hours that I can find gratitude in. They're not big things, tiny things. But the prompt at the beginning of my day is this reminder first thing in my day of how much good exists, but is also this trigger to now be on the lookout for the balance of the day for things that I will need to write down the following morning. And if you're on the hunt for good, you find evidence of it. And I believe so much that you have to be able to cast a hopeful vision for your future in order to feel strong enough to make it through what you're going through. But if the circumstances that you're inside of compromise hope in the present, or if the experiences of your past make you unable to cast this hopeful vision for the future, you're going to compromise your ability to feel that hope in a way that would give you power today. And so gratitude as a remedy for hopelessness is an easy hack that if you go on the hunt for it, it's something you're going to find. This idea that that hope for the future is power for the present, I think is, is so timely because I mean, really, let's summarize it simply that life is full of suffering. It is very, very hard for almost everyone, almost all of the time. And and so we need something to offset that challenge and envision a sense of something bigger, a sense of something uh, of real meaning, of purpose is a requirement to just be able to get through today and certainly a requirement if you want to get above survival mode and into into you know feeling good about it success driving and so on dave hollis author now of built through courage uh, my friend uh, a guide through the disorienting world that life is uh, for so many of us so much of the time. Uh, Thank you for spending some time with us on the What's Essential podcast. Thank you, Greg, for having me. I appreciate you and I appreciate your friendship. Thanks everyone for listening. I would encourage anyone, if you learned even a single thing and hope to retain it, you are 90% more likely if you share it with somebody who may in fact be desperately in need of this thing themselves. So um, please share it and tag Greg and I. I want to be able to see whatever you share and thank you personally in a DM. But uh, thank you, Greg, for having me. Thank you, listener, for giving me some time in your ear. Well said. Thank you, Dave.
Well, I think I laid down the gauntlet there for Dave, put him on notice with five specific things we can do right now when we're faced with the unimaginable, when we're faced with disorienting circumstances, and I think he delivered. All of us find ourselves in circumstances that are disorienting, in circumstances sometimes that are unimaginable, and so the necessity to face fear with courage is something universally relevant. It's been great to have Dave here today. Thank you for joining me. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.